Thank you, Alex. That's great. Um, again, welcome. Uh, so glad you're here um, to Re- Redemption Church. My name is Dave, and uh, just a quick heads up there. Um, I have one announcement. I'm actually not um, preaching, but I do want to give you all a, uh, a heads up that I have a stutter. So if you're if you're new or you've never heard that, um, just so you know. Um, so I have one main announcement to make, and it's an exciting one. Um, as we say often, we are one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona. So Redemption Church is um, one church, and it is um, in local congregations. So there are six in the greater Phoenix area, and then one planted um, about a year and a half ago up in Flagstaff. And then we planted here. We're now two and a half months into this whole thing. And so, um, so that's great. And um, exciting news, though, is we're no longer going to be the newest congregation. Um, in Peoria, northwest, um, northwest Phoenix, they're um, um, launching a new congregation, Redemption Peoria. And so, um, actually, anyone here from that area? Um, my wife is. Yeah, so yeah, there's a handful of you. It's just so cool to see. Um, yeah, just God in His Word, and, and um, we say that we exist to help birth and strengthen healthy local congregations, and that does not only mean Redemption Church, um, Redemption Congregations, and so we actually partner with an, with other church plants, even though we're a young church plant, and actually coming up in the new year, we're going to um, begin praying for other churches here in Tucson, and we just are excited to be a part of God's work. And I'm um, excited to see him um, launching more congregations. And so this is a very exciting. I actually know the lead pastor. Um, he and I were in a program um, together. Great guy. So if you have friends or family in the Peoria area, um, which is a huge area, but it's like 101 to the whole corridor. I don't know. I don't even know Phoenix. But it's massive. And my wife is from the area. So anyway, we're very excited about that. Um, if you want more information, ask me. And so now, with that, um, I'm excited because we're going to continue through our series, The Four G's, where we look at the character of God and how God shapes us in all of life. And we've looked at, um, so far, that God is great and that God is glorious. And today we get to hear from my good friend Jared um, about God's goodness and the goodness of God and how that shapes us in life. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and intro Jared. He's going to come up in a second. But um, Jared is, um, is just has become a great friend of mine. Actually, his wife and, and, um, and him and my wife and I, we um, flip-flop watching each other's kids every other week so we can, you know, go out on dates. And they just become really dear friends of ours. And with that, um, he's also um, a gifted communicator, God's Word. So I'm excited to give him the opportunity to, to bless us um, and, to, and to preach. And, um, and, and with that, too, as a young church, um, just so you know, we're, um, we say we, we exist for discipleship and community and cultural engagement. And a significant part of that is helping people consider how has God shaped them, how has he gifted them, where is he calling them. And so as Stephen said earlier, he's a pastoral resident. So he's, we're doing things we meet, um, we meet consistently to kind of grow and to consider his gifts and how God would call him. And he'll actually be um, preaching up here next month. Excited for that. And Jared is in a similar place. He's been in ministry for a long time. As, as I said, he has preached um, before. And so we're just excited to give him that opportunity and also just to 
bless us. So with that, will you go ahead and join me in uh, welcoming Jared up? Give him a big round of applause. So yeah, again, just um, let me just ask Jared coming up here. Just want to encourage you, um, and just encourage all of us to really engage our hearts and our minds um, well to hear from from God. All right, cool. I like Dave. <laughs> that's my that's my introduction. Um, my name, uh, yeah, my name is Jared, and I, I probably know quite a few of you. If you don't know me, uh, my wife and I, we've lived in Tucson for about four years. We've been married for almost nine years. We had three uh, little boys, a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, and a 11-month, 11-month-old. Um, and, and so if you've ever seen me after church on a Sunday walking around looking really confused, uh, it's because one of them has run away for like the fourth time, and I'm looking for him. And if I randomly hand you a baby... That does happen from time to time. I apologize. It's because I need to go look for a kid. It happens. We're talking about, we're talking about God's goodness today. When, when I hear about God's goodness, the first thing that comes to mind, let me just ask, how many of you in this room uh, were raised in church? Raise your hand. Wow. Wow, a lot of you. So you're probably familiar with this. Uh, we had a pastor at a church that I attended in, I think it was in high school, and whenever he didn't really know what to say, uh, he, would, he would randomly shout out, God is good. You ever hear that before? And, and the congregation, God is good? All the time. All the time, God is good. And you'd say that. Um, I, I, again, I have, I think I have undiagnosed ADD, and I, there, I, it may have been diagnosed. I don't know. I remember a doctor speaking. Um, that's, but, but when I was in church as a teenager, I mean, I, I would fall asleep, I would lose interest, and, and as soon as he said, God is good, it's like something just clicked up here subconsciously. I could be taking a nap in the pew, and he would say, blah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 did this, did that, God is good, all the time, all, all the time, all the, I look at my neighbor, all the time, right? All the time. He's, he, he's good. And I said it a lot, and we know it a lot, and I think all of us would not argue the point. If somebody told us that God was good, we wouldn't say, no, he's not. We, we know that God is good, but when it comes to practice, oftentimes our life doesn't reflect the fact that we believe God is good. You know, our life is consumed by the pursuing of things. Our life is consumed by the pursuing of, of good things, right? I think about this a lot when I listen to music. Um, when you listen to a song and really actually think about what the lyrics are pointing towards, it almost inevitably comes back to the, um, the gaining of good things or the celebration of a good thing, or on the flip side, it's the loss of a good thing. It's the, the mourning of a good thing. There are songs that are out there that are about, about the love that you find, the, the relationships that you have, about the bar that you love if it's a country song. It's, and subsequently, it's about the loss of things. Again, if it's a country song, it's about the loss of your bar or the loss of your wife or the loss of your dog or the loss of your dog 
to your wife. It all comes back. Hey, if you're laughing, it's because you don't understand country. Um, But it all comes back to this this idea. I got to have good things. I got to have something in my life that is all satisfying. It's going to bring me joy. That's going to bring me fulfillment. That's going to make me feel like I don't really need anything else. And we go looking for this, and we're never satisfied. The world has really left us with this sense of yearning that it's not able to that it's not able to satisfy. We have this thirst for goodness and nothing in the world is able to quench it. Right? And that's where this idea comes in today. God is good. Again, we know it in our heads, but there's something that keeps us as Christians, I believe from truly believing that that is the case. And, you, and again, you see it reflected in our lives. We say that God is good, but do we really believe it? Because, because how much do we put our hope in, in the world? How much of the world do we pursue in a way that we don't pursue him? For us, how many of us is God an afterthought? And I don't say that to shame you like, oh, you need to believe that God is good because if you don't, you're a bad person and why don't you just believe? I don't think that's an answer not an answer for me, and this is something I struggle with all the time. So we're going to take a look at, at God's Word. I think, I think what we'll find is there is some really good biblical explanations for why we, we truly don't believe in our hard hearts that God is good. All right, so we're going to be in Psalm 34, verse 8. For those of you who uh, don't have a Bible, would you just raise your hand? We have some people in the back who have Bibles for you. If you need one, raise your hand, and they'll come up and bring one to you. Psalm 34, verse 8. And if you have one of the Bibles that we have here, it's going to be page 297. And before we read, I'm just going to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I don't think there's a person in this room, I know know myself, I don't think there's a person in this room who does not struggle with believing that you are good. There's not a a single one of us that that wakes up in the morning trusting completely in your goodness uh, from the time that we wake up until the time that we go to sleep. It's a disposition that is largely missing from our lives. And Lord, what I don't want today is for anyone in this room to feel like that's what is expected of them. That they would be able to somehow uh, achieve or attain this place of like perfect, perfect, um, just sitting in the truth of your goodness. I know that that's, that's probably not possible here in a fallen world um, as uh, we are fallen people. But I pray, Lord, uh, too, that for those of us who are just completely unaware and completely blind to your goodness, that you would really wake us up today, that you would entirely enlighten us, just open our minds to the truth of who you are, to this very important aspect of your character, so that we might see the fruit of that uh, displayed in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm uh, 34, verse 8. I'm going to turn that real quick. Psalm 34, verse 8. Now, Psalm 34, it's a psalm written by David. And I think most of you are familiar uh, with some of David's story. David, David's an interesting, interesting character. If you know, David uh, was told by a prophet at a very young age that he was to be 
uh, king over all of Israel, king over all of God's people. And before he was able to become king, he really suffered under the leadership of a very poor young leader. Um, and it had, it had a really, just like for any of us that suffer under bad leadership, it hurts, right? You've all been there, maybe at work, uh, maybe at home. We suffer under bad leadership. That can be a really hard place to believe that God is good. And if you look at David's life, you look, this guy that he, this king that he was serving, David served him with his whole heart like he loved him. He loved him. He sought to protect him. He sought to serve him. And this young leader would attempt to kill David. That's a hard place to be, right? Yeah. And so let's read this psalm. I'm I'm going to read from Psalm 34, verse 8. David says what I think is an an open invitation to all of us. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? That the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you're looking at David's life from the outside, we as people, we, we have this very horizontal view of what's happening in a person's life, right? We look at... We look at their circumstances, we look at what they own, we look at who they are in relationship with, and we tend to judge their life based on that, to discern how much goodness they have. And if you were to look at David's life at this point, David was suffering not only only from Saul, but from all other types of, of enemies. And you'll see David referencing his psalms that they are encamped about him. He refers to this often. And, and here he is, and he's saying, don't look at my circumstances. Don't look at my life, your horizontal view of who I am and and what has happened to me. That doesn't define me. And he takes that horizontal view and he turns it. He reorients their gaze vertically. And he says, taste and see that God is good. Taste and see that God is good. And I think this is an open invitation to all of us You know, we believe that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think this is the Holy Spirit saying to each one of us, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just know that he's good, but experience the truth. God is good. And we can't know that if we're not able to see it. And I think there's a few different reasons why we are unable to see that. I want to share that with you, a few of those this morning. Uh, If you are the type of person who takes notes, that's probably why you don't have any friends. Um, but if you are the type of person who takes notes, you, you might want to write this down. Just being honest. Uh, we are blinded to God's goodness oftentimes because we are blinded by our own goodness. There's two, there's two stories um, attributed to the Bible. One of them is true and one of them is not. Okay, one... The true one is the gospel. And the gospel is this beautiful story. It's the true story. It's the story of God, who is a good God, a perfect God, a righteous God, a just God, who doesn't just create humanity and step away the moment that we screw up, but who reaches down, this good God from a good heaven and a good place, reaches down into a dark world to save bad people. But there's this other story that's told. And it's this story of a good God reaching down into a dark world and saving good people. 
That's not the Bible story. That's just not. And I would give you a, a really, I think for me, the strongest evidence, and I think for all of us, is the cross, right? When we look at the cross, it's really hard to, to maintain any uh, mindfulness of your own goodness. Because when you look at the cross, what are we witnessing there? We're witnessing God pouring out his life for us. Taking up our sin and putting it to death. If it takes that, it's got to be bad, right? He didn't just wash it away with water. He didn't just give us a nice little bath and say, you're clean. He didn't say, hey, you know what? I just forgive you. He actually paid for it. And it was a hefty price. We see that on the cross, right? But I hear, you know, I heard a guy one time, he said, he literally stood in front of people and he said, uh, I know that God chose me because I made the right decision and because I made the good choice and because what I did was the smartest thing you can do. And I sat there in awe. I'm like, it's amazing to me that this this. A man so incredibly smart could say something so dumb. How on earth can you read the Bible and see the gospel story and go, man, I am just so awesome. When I see about Jesus dying on the cross, I think, wow, I'm a really good person to be believing this. That's not the case. That's not what happens at all. At all. I'll give you an example of what happens when we believe in our own goodness. When we believe that our goodness is what saves us or why God chose us or why he reaches in and and takes us, the, if we believe in our own goodness, it totally blinds us to that truth. And it blinds us to the goodness of God. Jesus gives an example. If you turn in your Bibles, we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit today. Page 570. Page 570. This is going to be Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I'm sorry, sometimes I forget not everyone has the same Bible. I used to be a youth pastor. Everybody had the same Bible, right? Like you gave them out whenever people would come in. Um, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus tells this story, and I think it really gives us a good indication of of just how blind we become when we believe in our own goodness. Okay, I'm going to read. Beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but bear, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now see, what this Pharisee does uh, in this story, for those of you who don't know, a Pharisee is a re- was a religious leader at that time who was very, oftentimes very concerned with his own goodness. What, what this story tells us 
is that whenever we attempt, whenever we attempt to view our life and to view our relationship with God through the lens of our own goodness, we're completely blinded to His. It's like building a wall. I volunteer all the time. Right? I give, I give my money away to the poor. I'm such a good friend. I'm really good at laying bricks. Okay? That was a joke. You guys can laugh. I'm good because I'm laying bricks. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. I, I'm, I don't feed my kids sugar. I'm better at pointing out the gospel than other people that I know. And pretty soon we have this wall in front of us that is built up so high that we're completely oblivious to God's goodness. And what I don't want for you is for you to take that information and say, oh, we should feel really bad about ourselves all the time. That's not good news, right? That's not good news for us to walk around with our head hung low, constantly weighed down by everything that we've done. But I tell you what, if we don't get to the place where we acknowledge it, if we don't get to the place where we acknowledge that there is sin that has marked our lives in tremendous ways. Not only just things that we do, but things that we haven't done and, and who we are at the heart of us. If we can't acknowledge that, we're never going to see God as glorious. We're never going to see Him as good and we're certainly never going to be able to believe the gospel. You see what happens when you understand, when you understand what God has done for you when you understand how desperately you needed that salvation, is that wall comes down and you're left with God. And he's not sitting there pounding his fist saying, this is what you get. I'm glad you finally recognize who you are compared to me. No, he's looking at you like you're perfect. Like you're the most beautiful thing that he's ever seen. He's looking at you like you're worthy of love. And he's looking at you like you're worthy of all the goodness that he has to offer. But he's not doing that because of how good you are. He's doing that because whenever we recognize how desperately we need Jesus, when we put our faith in him that he took our place up on that cross, God doesn't look at us as us, but he looks at us the way that he looks at his son. Because now everything that Jesus is, you are. And our eyes are open to God's goodness. I would just encourage you. I would encourage you. Don't walk out of here today thinking, I'm such a bad person. There's a part of that you've got to walk through. Conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. But when you get there, lift up your gaze and look at God's goodness. That's satisfying. I knew this, I knew this guy. His name was Butch. Butch was... Uh, Butch was awesome. He was... I'd say like 65 or so years old. I was in my early 20s. And Butch had done a lot of drugs. So it was kind of like we were both in our early 20s. And, and he had come to know Jesus at this church where I, was, where I was serving. And it was awesome. This guy had had such a rough go of it. When, when he started doing drugs at an early age, he was practically disowned by his family. His father didn't want him anymore. They kicked him out. He lived at friends' houses, went from place to place to place. He just had a hard time. 
when he was in his late 50s, he had a stroke. Almost died without a friend in the world. And then he came to church. And he heard for the first time in his life that God loved him, regardless of the fact that he wasn't a good person. And Butch, who really acknowledged just how bad he was, was able to see God for how good he is. And you know what happens when somebody gets saved, right? They're annoying. He wanted to tell everybody. Butch was dating like three girls, uh, three ladies at this time. He would just bring them all to church. Not at the same time. He would rotate through them. And so we'd go into church on a Sunday and be like, Butch, who is this? This is the one I was telling you about that's never been to church. And like next week, Butch, who's this? This is the one she went to. She goes to church, but I don't think they tell her about Jesus. I don't think she understands the gospel. And, and it was awesome. Um, because let me tell you what, when, when somebody gets saved, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean that their life is automatically everything that it should be, like they're just this wonderful Christian. That was the case with Butch. His life was not perfect, but man, he understood how good God was. He got that. My wife and I were living in a parsonage at the time, and if you don't know what a parsonage is, it's a house that's next door to a church, and it's awesome because it's horrible. It was, it was the worst thing in the world. Everybody who had beef with Jesus knew where you lived, and would come and talk to you about it. And so there was one afternoon, all of a sudden I get a knock on my door, I open it, and there's female Butch, which I assumed instantly was a relative of his. Uh, it was his sister, and she was visibly angry. All right? She was so upset because her brother is now teaching her about Jesus. She said, she said, how... How did he turn into this? What are you people telling him? What are you people telling him that he is going to tell me that I need Jesus? I go to church every week and I have all my life. He didn't. I volunteer. I volunteer at the local, uh, uh, what was it? It was like a thrift store where she volunteered to... to raise money for homeless teenagers. She did all these really wonderful things. Nothing that was bad in and of itself. It was great that, that that stuff was being done. But then she starts just blasting Butch. You had no idea who he is. Did you know that he's dating multiple women? I'm like, yeah, he brings them to church, which is awesome because now they're hearing the gospel. He still, he still drinks. He still he curses at me all the time, even when he's talking about Jesus. And did you know he has marijuana in his house? And I said, yeah, he offers it to me every time I visit him. But look, and I had less of a filter on my mouth at this point. I said, look, I think what your brother wants you to understand is that all of your goodness doesn't mean a thing to God. He wants you to understand that you think you're going to be saved because you do all these wonderful things. And Butch has found that he doesn't have to be a perfect person. And God loves him. Butch sees God as good. She didn't. When you're like Butch, when you understand the depth of your sin and you see God as good, and I just want to say as kind of a, a little end note there, over the years I've gotten to see Butch grow. As patterns of sin, things that he once found his satisfaction in, have started to fade away, have lost the hold that they had on his life. 
when we understand how desperately we need God, like Butch, then we see him as good. And when we don't see him as good because we're blinded by our own goodness, we're missing out. We're missing out. All right. Second obstacle that I think really affects us, really keeps us from, from seeing God's goodness. We're blinded by the things of this world. We're blinded by the things of this world. You know, this world has a lot of pretty shiny things. Every one of us in this room probably has a cell phone. This is an example that I use often, and I think a lot of people do, but it's so true. What happens when you get that brand new cell phone, and then the newer cell phone comes out? My cell phone's old. And then you get the brand new cell phone, and you find out it's bendable. That's my impression of an iPhone 6. You find out it's bendable, right? And now that beautiful, shiny new thing that you just got that you thought was going to satisfy and make you happy, it's no good anymore. Now people are laughing at your phone. Don't keep it in your pocket, right? Or we put, our, we put our hope in relationships. We put them in the people that we date. It's like we find this perfect person that we think is going to bring us all the joy that we could ever have, right? We find this person, and they are going to be our good. And then after you get to the point where you're too comfortable with each other to pretend anymore, you realize who that other person is, and they're not as good as you thought they once were, and they're realizing the same thing about you, and that shiny thing is gone. Ladies, you find that perfect dude. You think he's sweet, and then November rolls around, and he's not shaving for some reason. He looks like a dog with mange. I know because that's how I look when I try to grow a beard but I've been married for eight years, and I, I waited that long before I tried, so my wife was stuck at that point, right? But even that perfect thing, all of a sudden you get this image of it, it's, it's tainted now, it's not perfect anymore. We try to find our joy in all kinds of things. We try to find our joy in sex. We pursue it in ways that God has not given the green light to. And we find ourselves ultimately disappointed, and we go through this life reaching into places that we shouldn't be reaching, latching on to things that we shouldn't be latching on to, and loving that which is not worthy of love in the hope that it will bring us some sense of goodness. And we are just repeatedly disappointed. When I was a teenager, I spent my summers working on water wells with my dad. Those of you who, who have grown up in the city may not really be familiar with the concept, but your water comes from the ground. And when I was working with him during the summer, we would go out to these places, and a water well is anywhere from 60 feet to 500, 600 feet. It's, it's deep, right? And we would spend the hot summers pulling that pipe out, one after the other. It took hours. It was so hot. By the time we got to that pump, I'm like, yes. Then you had to replace the pump. And then you had to lower it back in. So you might spend anywhere from 8 to 12 hours in Coolidge area, which is extremely hot. It's even hotter than here in the middle of the summer. And one of the greatest things in the world is when you plug uh, everything back in and you turn that pump on and you put your hand up against the pipe and you could feel the air pressure of the water pushing the air out as it came up. Because I tell you what, if you've never tasted water from a well, especially at the end of a long, hot day, it's amazing. I don't even know how to describe it. It's sweet. There's a sweetness 
about it, depending on where the well is located geographically, it may taste completely different, but it always tasted good. And I kid you not, every time that I take a sip of Mountainhead Arrow Spring water, is that what it's called? Mountainhead, Mountain Spring water, Arrowhead, Mountain Spring water, whatever, it's garbage, okay? The moment, the moment I taste it, I'm like, I think of Satan. I think of Satan because I think of the father of lies because there's no bigger lie than telling me that this water came from a mountain spring. There's no, there's no mountain with a spring that tastes like that purified puke, I can tell you. Maybe Mordor. Maybe. I knew this group was going to laugh. That's why they do the projectors. Um, <laughs> like falling over. Mordor, yeah! Woo. The point that I make, and I am trying to make a point, I promise. The point that I make is, at the source, the water is sweet. But when you get removed from the source, it's not so sweet anymore. And what we end up trying to do is try to get to God and try to get to the goodness and try to get to satisfaction the wrong way. And we end up not enjoying anything. It's in, it's the, the problem is the order of importance. The problem is the order of importance because when we start with God, when we realize that he is the only one where good comes from. David says this in Psalm 16, I think verse 2. He says, I have no good apart from you. When you can recognize that, that God is the source of goodness, then you can start to enjoy things. But if you look for the goodness in things and in the world, you're deceived. If you want to turn with me to 2 uh, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses, um, we're going to be in verse 3. This is on page 627 for those of you who have the same Bible. And even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We get blinded by this world. And if you see in this particular scripture, blinded by the God of this world. This has been Satan's intention from the very beginning. If you look at the garden. You have a place where man existed in perfect communion with God, where they got to walk with God in the cool of the day. And Satan comes and he says, there's something else that will bring you good. And it's the very thing that God told you to stay away from. The very thing that God said, don't touch this. He touched it. The very thing he said, don't eat. He ate because that's what Satan does. He comes to us and he says, there's another way to find your goodness. There's another way to find your satisfaction, to find your fulfillment. I see this displayed most easily on Sunday mornings when my wife and I, you know, we live in Midtown, which besides um, all of the awesome restaurants and entertainment, there is a lot of strip clubs, a lot of dive bars. And when we head out of our house and we turn on the speedway, the first thing we see is a strip club called Eden. What a perfect example. What a perfect example of people trying to get to God the wrong way. The reason that Eden was a glorious place was not because of that. The reason Eden was a good place is because it's where God was. 
Don't be blinded by the things of the world. Begin to identify everything that you put your hope in. Say, no, that's a lie. That's not true. That's not going to bring me the goodness that I want. Start with God. And you know what? Then, then you can start to enjoy things in life because they're not the ultimate thing. When we start with him, the things that we enjoy, food, um, sex, in, in part of God's design, it becomes good. It becomes, it becomes not all fulfilling, but it brings us moments of happiness in a way that does not deny him his place in our lives. I'm going to tell you one more. In this one, I, I was going to leave out, but it's so applicable to my own life this, this past year and the lives of, of many people that I know this past year that I thought I should, I should share it. Something that blinds us to God's goodness is our circumstances. Something that blinds us to God's goodness is our circumstances. When bad things happen in our lives, our natural reaction is to run away. Our natural inclination is to run away, and more specifically, to run away from God. I've seen it in my life, and you've seen it in yours. And by doing that, we miss out on those moments where God is at his best. When we take those hard times in our life and we use them as an excuse to run away, we miss out. Don't let the hard times and don't let the bad things and don't let the harsh circumstances chase you away from God. Make them bring you closer to him. When you feel yourself falling back, lean in. Lean in. Because it's here where you're going to experience God's goodness in the greatest way, when you can recognize him in the good in the midst of the bad, because I tell you what, God did not promise us good times. He didn't. Nowhere in scripture do you see that. Put your faith in me, and man, life is going to rock. It's going to be easy. You're going to go to all these super cool Christian concerts like Carmen. You're going to do all these awesome things like hang out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, parachute pants. You're going to do all these awesome things. You're going to speak all these awesome things to people that you know, and they're, going to, they're just going to instantly believe in Jesus, and life is going to be easy, and your friends and family are all going to become saved, and everything that you could ever want to happen is going to happen. I'm not telling you that to discourage you. I'm telling you that just to tell you plainly. That's not the promise. The promise is not that things work out. The promise is that God is going to be good, regardless. I've witnessed one of the worst things I've ever witnessed in the last couple of years. Growing up in church, met this family, and they were, I've never, I've never witnessed in my life a family as close as this one. I didn't grow up in a bad home, I had a good home, but there was something about them, something about the way that Jesus was the center of everything, the way in which they loved one another. The siblings referred to each other as best friends. My sister was still beating the snot out of me when I was dating my wife. Okay, I mean, and you know, there was a part of me that was like, this is a little weird. There's a part of me that didn't want that in my, in my own life. But it was still admirable. Just that such a deep-rooted and tremendous love. They're the family that you're rooted for. They're the family that you could never imagine something bad happening to. 
about a, I want to say a year and a half ago, the, the family went from five to four instantly. The youngest son, who was an avid motorcycle rider, one night was riding down the highway, and a woman who wasn't looking crossed two lanes snuffed him out of this world. I remember waking up uh, that morning, you know, did the coffee thing, was reading through my Facebook, like we all do, let's just be honest. And the son, the older brother, he had written, he had posted a, a link to an article, and he said, this is my brother. Please pray for my family. And I remember as I read, as I read that, I'm not a guy who just breaks into random weeping very often, but I just... I just started weeping. And I came, I got my wife. I'm like, I need you to pray with me. And we sat in the, in the dining room and we just prayed for this family. And the first thing that came to mind is, God, why would you let something like this happen to such good people? They made everything about you. You were their heart. But I tell you what, in the days and weeks that followed, that family showed me how good God was. They posted their eulogies online, and so I got to read through those and to see what the sister said as she was on that stage. And all she did was bring all the glory back to God and talk about how good he was to their family, how their, their brothers with Jesus now, that's all he ever hoped for. That was his hope. And then six months later, their dad, who was one of the godliest men I've ever known in my life, He's in the military. Random training routine. He finishes. He goes back to his hotel room. He lays down in bed. And he's gone. And that family used that opportunity to glorify God again and again. And I remember at this point send, sending an email to Star, the mother. And I said, Star, I got to know what your family does. I got to know what's going on because when this stuff happens to me, because it's going to happen to me in some way, when this stuff happens to me, I want to know what I got to do. When something happens to my wife or happens to me or happens to my kids, how is my family going to rally themselves around you? And she just wrote me back and she said, Jared, God has been number one in our family's life. We've always made that the priority. We've always looked at Jesus for our goodness. We've always looked at Jesus for our goodness, and so when Jesus isn't there anymore, God is still good. Or not when Jesus, I'm sorry, rather when, when, when our family isn't there, when we lose these, these people that we love, God is still good. Six months later, her sister's diagnosed with cancer, and she dies so soon. And almost as soon as the sister is dying, is gone. Her mother dies. And you just see this keep happening. And, and she wrote something. And I, I, I reached out to her last week. And I asked if I could share it with you. Um, and her response was, Jared, anything that you can, you can use our story for to bring more glory to God, to make him look better, do it. So she said this. My son, husband, sister, and now my mom are all with Jesus. People are asking me, what, why, and how is this happening? 
Who am I to know God's reasons? But I trust him. Even in this, and I'm very thankful for his presence at this time. Please don't feel sorry for me. He is good to me. I don't tell you that story so you can go look at that awesome woman. I wish I was more like her. I share that with you because her life is a perfect example of the power that comes with believing that God is good even when life is hard. So my charge to you, the church, spur each other on to believe in God's goodness. Children, spur your parents on to believe in God's goodness. When they're blinded by their own, when they're blinded by this world, when they can't see him in the midst of their circumstances, show them God's goodness. Bring them back to the gospel. Sisters, do this for your brothers. Brothers, do this for your sisters. Friends in the church, do this for your friends. Uh, People who are members of RC, do this with your RC. Bring people back to the goodness of God. Bring them always back. It's so easy to be blinded, and if we can constantly be spurring each other on in that truth, what a blessing that will be. And remind them that God's goodness is most easily displayed in the cross. You don't have to look elsewhere. God's goodness, even though it shows itself in our lives in a number of ways, just the fact that we are here today is still most clearly displayed in the cross. It's defined by that day when God, in his love, endearing love for you, took your sins upon himself, allowed murderers to take him and crucify him so that he could buy you. God is good. You have been purchased. You have been redeemed. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But man, he's done it. God is good. God is good. That God who does that is so much better than anything this world has to offer. That God who does that is so much better than our poor circumstances. That God who does that is good when we're blinded by our own goodness. So spur each other on in the gospel. Remind each other of who he is. Look to Jesus. I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you that I have an opportunity to speak about your goodness, even though in my own life I've seen so many days where I've not lived this out like it was true. And I thank you that that's possible because of Jesus. Because Jesus died for all the times when I would not do this right. Jesus died for all the days where I would look to things and people and relationships and sex and everything else that I thought was going to make me happy and fulfilled that he brought me back around and continues to bring me back around through the Holy Spirit to remind me that you are good. I pray for anybody today who doesn't believe that, who's struggling with that. This isn't something that can be done. There's no simple steps. There's no answers that just make it go away, this, this blindness. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work. 
I pray that people in this room who feel the weight, who feel the conviction, who feel, who feel like this is beyond them, remind them through your Holy Spirit that it is entirely beyond them. But through you, it can be done. Lastly, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. You have been good to me in so many ways that if I were to sit down and attempt to count them, I never could finish. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.